Welcome to Island Baptist Church. Today's sermon is Daniel, a person for such a time as this, part two. So Daniel chapter two, we were last time, we're going to be picking it up there. Uh, speaking of flying and air, airplane trips, there's a lady by the name of Marge who um, had, had an experience on a plane, God speaking to her, God teaching her some things about how he does things. And uh, it went like this. She said, I, I got on the plane and and uh, growing in the Lord, really seeking his face and trying to learn more and more about how he's working in my life. Not totally sure about how, and by the way, my voice has got weird inflections here. We don't know what's going on with my little battery pack here. So it's just, if you hear me go up and down without seeming like I'm going up and down, it's because that's what's happening. It's just going up and down. So I apologize. So this lady, Marge, is flying a plane, flying on a plane. And uh, she gets on the plane and is sitting on the right-hand side of the plane. And out her window next to her, it's all dark clouds, uh, one side of the plane, building thunderstorms or whatever. And uh, she's just looking at that, thinking, you know, it's really powerful and really neat looking. And, and then she happens to look across the other side of the plane. It was in the evening, and the sun was setting. The other side of the plane had no clouds. There I go. The other side of the plane had no clouds and was bright sunshine, sun setting. So in- interesting, the contrast. Uh, it's almost like, she said, it's almost like the contrast in my life. You know, one day I'm, I'm this side of the plane, and the other day I'm that side of the plane. One, one month I'm this side of the plane, and the next month I'm... Um, that side of the plane, and she said, it's interesting, though, I felt like God was speaking to me, saying, it, it's interesting that, that it's still only one plane. And it has, it has a lot to do with what window you look out of. And she said, I was impressed as the, as the airplane was taxiing down the runway, the engine's revving up, you know, about to take off. She said, it, she was on her way to Cleveland. She said, it's interesting, I felt like God was saying to me that no matter which window you look out of, this thing is still going to Cleveland. The, the, the life that you're in if God is your pilot, if you know that Jesus is personal Savior, you, you still only have one pilot, and he knows how to fly the plane, and he knows where it's going to land. And by the way, if you'll read carefully, so do you. You know where this thing is going, and, and you do have a choice to make, but it, it's, not, it's not about the destination. You've sealed that. It, it's about which window you, you choose to focus on. And she said it was, it was such a revelation to me, not so much, not so, much so understanding why this particular thing or that particular thing going on in my life, but a matter of focus and, 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 and especially focus on who's flying this thing. I know who he is. Where is he going with this thing? I, I know where he's going. He tells me. And so it, it became less relevant, she said, um, which window she, she uh, chose to look out of and more relevant as to who God was. And she said how important it was that since we know Christ as personal Savior, how important it is not only the, the privilege of knowing, uh, like I said, where this thing is going and who's flying the plane, but how, how important the responsibility it is, the world we live in, who either has the wrong pilot or are looking out the wrong window, how important it is that we bear a testimony to who our pilot is and what he's doing. And what, what an incredible privilege that we have. Uh, again, speaking of praying, planes, a pilot by the name of Patrick Smith, commercial airline pilot, flying Boeing 757, 767s, commented about, anybody been through bad turbulence in a plane? I mean, like, like some bad stuff, like better than a Six Flags roller coaster I went through coming out of Albuquerque, New Mexico. And I don't know, if, I know we have some Albuquerque people here, and people don't ever fly, that, fly into that airport, but don't f- walk out. <laughs> don't fly out. Because they come out of the airport, and they go right straight up over the mountains. I mean, like the plane just like takes a 90 degree. And about the time you get over the top of these, I think it's the Sandia Mountains, right? Sandia Mountains? I don't know. They're big. About the time you get over the top of that, there's winds coming from the desert from the other side, and it catches that plane. And I mean, I was just like, you know, here, you know, here I come, Lord, I know this is it. 
uh, this guy, um, Patrick Smith, was commenting about turbulence of that sort and others, and he says, you know, as opposed to the way it feels in the cabin, I'm sorry, in the, in the, in the passenger's cabin, it's not anything like that in the pilot's cabin. Nothing like that in the cockpit. So he says, what, what matters to us with regards to turbulence is just that we not spill your drinks. He says, because on, honestly, the plane is not going to get knocked out of the sky by turbulence. If you don't like it, it drops a couple hundred feet like a roller coaster or whatever, and you don't like it, and it's no fun. He said, but truly, we're, we're sitting in the cockpit with the thing on autopilot, sipping our coffee with our legs crossed, talking about the morning news, while everybody's back in the back saying, you know, like I said, here, here I come Jesus, you know, kind of stuff. <laughs> and uh, he said, it's so, it's, well, he just said, you think about it, a plane's flying 200-something miles an hour. Why, has a 60-mile-an-hour wind going to make a difference after you're already going 200-something miles? No, it's not. But he said it's, it's so important. It, it would be so incredible if the passengers could have the pilot's perspective. And I thought how, how, how incredible that is for us, that we have our pilot's perspective on life, and that we understand that even though turbulence is going on, our pilot, guys, is piloting this thing with his legs crossed, sipping his coffee. He just is. He's sovereign, and he's got it, he's got it under control, and we, we need to focus ourselves upon him. Well, Daniel and his friends flew with the same pilot, and they experienced some, quite a bit of turbulence here in chapter 2, and we're going to be picking it up here, but, but first of all, let's back up to chapter 1. The progression here is important. We talked about this last time, verse 17 of chapter 1. It says, as for these four young youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom, and Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. Now, not four verses later, or five verses later, Notice verse 1 of chapter 2. Now in the second year of King Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. Hello, you should be saying, here we go. God's ramping this thing up. He's given this young man ability. Now he's putting him in a position where the head of state here, this, this despot king, is going to have these dreams. And, and of course, we're able to sit and read the story, and it's sort of uh, uh, unemotional for us. It was certainly not that for Daniel nor, nor Nebuchadnezzar. But he says, Nebuchadnezzar's spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. So, so it's easy for us to connect the dots. So we sit here and we say, from a bird's eye view, looking at scripture, saying, okay, Daniel, here you go. God's gifted. You remember, they're teenagers. These are young guys just out of training. They're apprentice, wise men, advisors, etc. Here you go, Daniel. God's gifted you with this great gift. Now he's moving you to position. He's moving him there. Like I said, we're, we're, we're privileged to be able to read the story. And by the way, what's the story in the Bible for? Multiple reasons. What's it in the story in the Bible for you for? Because it's telling you how God works in your life. Now, you're not speaking to heads of state necessarily, but you are, if, if you're in Christ, you are a gifted person. You're also a person, as God has gifted you, you become an asset of his to maneuver into places where he wants you to be for his, for his, for his purposes. Now, we connect the dots real well with, with Daniel, but are you connecting the dots in your own life? Do, do you see your experiences and the abilities that God has, all of it God has given to you? He's either caused it or he's allowed it into your life. You've had good things. You've had bad things. You've had all these things. And God intends that you understand that all these things are for the purposes of being used as an asset in the life that he's given you, by the way, which is going to be very short. Sorry. 70 years, what? 80 years? And And then forever you live somewhere else. So the choices you make here are going to matter. You're going to get to live with them forever. That's why what we do down here, you know, it's no big deal. I'll get it better next week. I'll get it better next month. Well, maybe there's not going to be one of those. There's going to come a time on which there won't be. So when you've got a shot to do it right, 
do it right and understand that God has us set up as assets, just as he does for these young people. In the New Testament, it is referred to as the giftings of the body of Christ. Why does he give us experience and abilities in certain areas? Why does he give us certain skills? So that we can contribute to the overall working of the church. Money skills, teaching skills, working with our hands, ministry, leadership, discernment, wisdom, organization. Why all these skills? Just so you can blow them on yourself? So that you can have an income? I mean, I know God gives us and enables us to be able to take care of ourselves. Certainly he does and expects us to work hard. Nonetheless, there is an overall perspective here we're missing. We're not just, just one person. We're a part of a body of Christ. I wish those inflections would come up at point when I'm, when I'm really making a good point instead of just sort of variable there. Sorry. God sets us up with skill, and then he creates opportunity in his timing to serve him. That's what's happening with Daniel. The reason why the Daniel story is written down, among other things, is to tell us how he's going to work in our lives. This is how, what is God doing in my life? Read the section. He works this way in all people's lives, not to a greater or lesser degree. God expects you to understand that you are an asset, that he's maneuvering. He set you in place to serve the greater cause of the body in our neighborhoods, in our businesses, in our schools, in our spheres of influence. God is placing us there. The body of Christ has to have its parts working, and it starts with his parts, the parts thinking like their parts instead of saying, I'm just here for me. No, you're not. Once he bought you with his body and blood, which is what we're going to be observing that today here in the Lord's Supper, you've got crackers here and juice here representing the body and blood of Christ. He paid a great value, placed a great value on you. You're an asset. And he's placed within you gifts, literally grace gifts. Saved you by grace, gifted you by grace, now by grace calling you to make a difference. And you say, well, I'm not worthy of that. You weren't worthy of any of it. And you never will be. His worthy, your worthiness is in him. But he, he intends for us to see that. And again, why is Daniel written? For, that's for one of the reasons so we can understand that. So God has set up Daniel to be a person for such a time as this, and he's given him skill to accomplish this. Nebuchadnezzar has had a really weird dream. I mean, really, really weird. And it is freaking him completely, totally out. And he has gone bonkers. He has lost it. And, and it's reminded him of the fact that his advisors that he's inherited, the old cronies inherited from his dad's administration, he never really trusted anyway. And so he's going to do a fail-safe situation where he's going to guarantee whether the interpretation he gets is going to be accurate if he gets one at all. And if he doesn't get a guaranteed interpretation, then he's going to clean house. Notice chapter 2, verse 5. It says that the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, the command from me is firm if you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation. He's not telling them the dream. You have to tell me what I dreamed last night first, and then I will trust that what you interpret is actually accurate. Like I said, that's a fail-safe program. Or what? Or he's going to clean house. Notice, you'll be torn limb from limb, and your houses will be made of rubbish heap. Well, that's, you know, that's, that's the old-fashioned way of getting a pink slip for sure. You're out, for sure. And they knew that he could do it. They knew he was capable of it. They completely believed him. And so now, like I said, what, what it looks like from the outside is we've got this crazy guy, this enraged king who's about to take the heads off a bunch of his advisors, which seems to be the process here. But what's really going on is that God is sovereignly moving to dispel the wisdom of men and replace it for what real wisdom is through the agency of these four young men who he has gifted 
and placed into this position for such a time as this. That's what's actually going on. In the same way God works in us, he gifts you, then in his timing, when the timing is right, he places you and he uses you. Sometimes for the rest of your life, sometimes for just a moment. Maybe it's just one person. Maybe it's just one situation. There, there's multiple facets within all this. There's a general call, I believe, over our whole life, the direction God has for us. And then within that facet, there's every single day, there's opportunities. Every single moment, there's people coming by. Do we see ourselves as assets? And do we see ourselves as representatives, his ambassadors? Because if we do not, we're missing it. What is my purpose in life? I just told it to you. That's what it is. That's generally what it is. That's what it looks like. That's what's true for Daniel, it's true for us. And the way God gifts us and works in us. Daniel and his friends, like I said, they recognize themselves as God's investments and God's assets, and he's about to cash them in. That's what's happening here in chapter 2. So, first of all, we saw last time, and we need to just review briefly, if we want to be useful to our world, we have to, first of all, be useful to our God. So I want to make a difference in the world. I want to make a lasting impression. I want to change things. I want to be an agent of change in my world. I hope that's your heart. And believe me, that's God's heart for you. I want to be an agent of change. But wherever the circumstances I find myself in, the job situation, the, the sphere of influence that I work in, God wants, wants that for you. He wants that. But let me just say this to you. You will, not be an, you will not be a person of influence in the positions that you're in until you're first a person of influence with the person of God. Until, until things are right between you and God, there's nothing going to be right around you. you how, how can I, if I'm not useful to God in my private life, how come I, I can be useful to him in my public life? It does not make sense. I've got to first be useful to him in the things that he's already told me to do. There we go. Then I can be useful to him in the things that he sets up for me to do. So these men, as we've already seen, were already men of the Bible. They didn't just become men of the Bible once they're put in a tight situation. They were already men of prayer. They were already people who, who were obedient to God. These are just examples of the things that they had been doing privately in their life. Now, when, when push comes to shove, who rises to the top? The dudes that have already been doing this. That's who. That's the way it always works. We miss God's opportunities because we wait to become what God wants us to be once the pressure's on, which, of course, never happens. If you're not faithful, as the Scripture says, in small things, you will not be faithful in big things. Just can't. Useful to God privately so that we can be used of God publicly, which brings us to our last major point here. We continue to be useful to God and our world by having certain character qualities. Daniel and his friends were useful to God, and they remain useful to God for their entire careers, Daniel into his 90s, because they had certain character qualities that absolutely they would not give on. Here's the qualities. Number one, there's more of these probably. These are the biggies. Number one, composure. So I would remind you that Daniel and his friends are teenagers, 17, 18, 19, somewhere right in there. They're kids, sorry. They're kids. Kids can't do anything, right? We just push kids off to the side. They don't know what they're doing. They're incapable of doing anything major. Let it all happen to the adults, right? Well, you got a whole book in the Bible that says differently, kids. It does. These are teenagers. we got a room full of, set, well, we got a whole pews full of 17, 18, 19-year-olds over here. Young ones, they're kids, but notice their composure. Daniel never loses his cool. So the, the order's gone out from the king, off with their heads. We pick it up there here in verse 14. So, so the king 
It says that Daniel replied to discretion, with discretion and discernment to Arioch, the captain of the king's bodyguard. That word captain comes from a root word in Aramaic, which means to slay. What was his job? If, 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 your, if your job title, part of your job title uses the words to slay, what do you do? Yeah, this is all this guy did. He was the personal executioner of the king. Like I said, that, this guy knew how to fire people. You don't have any, no lawsuits, no, no follow-ups. He took their heads off. And so he had a guy who was employed in his staff who did nothing but kill people on his behalf. And this guy by the name of Arioch shows up at Daniel and his friend's doors taking care of business. Notice again, what does it say here in verse 14? And Daniel replied with discretion and discernment to Arioch, the captain of the king's bodyguard, who had gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Arioch, the king, verse 15, king's commander, for what reason is the decree from the king so urgent that Arioch informed Daniel about the matter? Seem a little weird. This guy's got blood all over his sword from the last house he just went to. And he shows up at Daniel's house and Daniel's like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. What's going on here? What is he, like a magician or something? This guy's got blood in his eyes and on his hands. And so this guy just takes a step back and is like, oh, you don't know? Well, let me explain this to you. It's kind of what happens here. It's like you should be shaking your head saying, what? And he's a kid. This is a teenager talking to the king's personal executioner who's been killing a bunch of guys already, probably started with the men in the room that first could not answer the question of the king, who asked for time but couldn't get time because he says, I know you're stalling. If you can't give me the dream and the interpretation, off with your heads. Here comes this guy killing people, and he shows up at Daniel's door, but somehow Daniel's able to stop him. Sovereignty of God intervening, is it not? I mean, that's, that's God. That's 100% God. But, uh, but it, but in, and God does what he does, and all the glory and credit to him. But the composure of this kid is amazing. How do you stay composed knowing what this guy's coming to do? He's amazingly composed. Back to our story of flying on the plane. We live in a day in which everybody is out of sorts. Lots of turbulence, don't we? So how are you doing in all that? Are you just like them? So you know who's flying the plane. You have a personal relationship with them. You know which window you ought to be looking out of. But you're acting like all the other yahoos on the plane that have neither, neither one of those things going for them. That, that's not right. You and I ought to, this is the, uh, talk about a time for the church and for the body of Christ to shine. We live in that day. Stop wishing you were born some other day because that wasn't it. God has placed you here. You don't find Daniel and his friends saying, oh, if we'd just been born some other day, we wouldn't have this kind of stuff going on. No, they face it with composure. They're composed completely. And God moves because they do this. God moves sovereignly just like he always does. When we know who's flying it, and we know how it's going to land. We know how to handle the ride. And believe me, the world is looking. Daniel was an amazing confidence. What amazing confidence. And then notice what amazing courage, verse 15. We already read it. He answered the king and said, for what reason is this decree? And so Arioch informed him. And so Daniel went in requested of the king that he would be giving, given time. Notice the courage of this young man. Incredible courage. Again, like I said, he's a teenager. He, he's an apprentice. He's a foreigner. And yet, with incredible courage, he asked to go in in verse 16. So Daniel went in and requested the king. I mean, so the king is out of his mind, mad at all these people, crazed with this dream that he's just had. 
and you're an apprentice teenager and you say, can I go in and talk to the king? Would that have crossed your mind? I'd be thinking, so I go in and cross the king and, and come in and the king immediately says, why is this man's head still on his shoulders? It, it just, maybe it just end my life sooner. Notice Daniel goes in very confidently. There we go. Very courageously. Steps in. Asks the king, what is he asking for? Daniel went, verse 16, requested the king that he would give him time in order that he might declare the interpretation to the king. So, 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 again, connect the dots. Verse 7 through 9, the old cronies who he'd inherited from his father, all the trusted advisors, not apprentices, guys that had been with him through wars and battles and conquests and all kinds of things, guys who, who were had, for sure had tenure, what did they request? Verse 7, they answered and said to the king, let the king tell the dream to his servants and we will declare the interpretation. The king answered and said, I know for certain that you are bargaining for time. So, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine verses before, the guys who had pull asked for time and the king says, uh-uh. Daniel, who has no swing, says, let me go talk to the king, goes in and says, may we please have time and I will give you an answer and the king says, says, oh, okay. <laughs> wow. Of course, like I said, all the glory to God. This is God moving in the heart of the king, Arioch, the chief executioner, and all this stuff. I'm not saying Daniel doesn't have magic dust or anything like that. But because God comes through, here's the bottom line. God comes through for those who, who trust him. They, they, they trusted him. God, God's with us. And so we die, okay, but we're going to die. We're going to go out the way we ought to go out. We're going to go out as brave men. We're going to go out with, with composure. We're going to go out with faith. And if that's what God has for us, that's what he has. And by the way, this is not the last time these guys get a chance to do that. They're going to do it in front of an idol and get thrown into a fire. They're going to do it with complete composure, with great confidence, with incredible faith. And Daniel went, notice verse 17, to his friends. So he goes and asks for the king for the time, and the king says, okay. Like, wow. And... And he, he informs his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, about the matter in order that they might request compassion from God. What's he going in and saying? He goes in and says to the king, can we have time? The king says, okay. He goes back to his friends and he, what does he say? Guys, we're having a meeting. We're going to come up with some answers. Is that what he says? Guys, we're, we're having a meeting. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna figure out how to stir up this, this uh, gifting that God has given me to interpret dreams. Let's come up, let's search, let's do a Google search. Is that what he does? Now he goes in and says, boys, we're about to have a prayer meeting. That's what he says. Boys, we're about to have a prayer meeting. And so I want to say this to you, which I think is the most important thing I have to say this morning, I believe. Our world needs men and women who know where to go for the answers. Our world, what, we look around and we see our world, it's in turmoil, our nation's in turmoil, things are all up in the air, people are being divided and more divided, issues back and forth, never seen this much controversy and all these issues in my entire life, I've not lived that long. And we, what's the answer? What, what, what do we do? We, we wring our hands about this kind of stuff. Listen, what our world needs is not people who say, 
this is the direct, right political direction, this is the right political thing to do. What our world needs is men and women who know where to go for the answers. Who know where to go. Who can, who can live their life that way. So Daniel is gifted, he doesn't rely on that. Daniel has a veritable brain trust in these three young wise men that he has next to him. They don't have any kind of brain, brainstorm. They go to their knees. Because that's where the answer is. Where's the answer for us today? That's where it is. That's what the world answer. What do we do? What's going to happen to us? I don't know, but I know where to get the answers. It's on our knees. It's on our knees. That's where these guys go. It's on our knees. God's men and women do not take their troubles to others. They take it to God. And what does God do? God turns them into men and women who, are, who God has positioned and gifted for such a time as this. Do you see yourself that way? I'm an asset of the Holy One who has sovereignly placed me in the place where I am, gifted me the way that he's gifted me, to do what I'm supposed to do, whatever that is. And then as he moves me, I move. I move with confidence, composure, courage. I move in faith because I know who's flying this thing. And I know how it's going to land. I'm choosing which window I look out of. It's interesting. We have sort of those windows, don't we? Dark, I didn't pay attention to that. Dark and light. I'm choosing which window I look out of. Because the world doesn't know. Somebody needs to show them how it works. Somebody needs to show them what the confidence is of the one who's flying this thing and that they know them. Someone needs to act right. Really does. God is expecting that out of us. I want us to pray together. Bow your heads and close your eyes. God is so good to us that he's placed us in a place where he's act, asking a lot of us. And, um, and we really need to step up. Amazed at these young men who could see through all the turbulence. Trust the pilot. Trust his skill. Be who they're supposed to be for the time that they had. Heavenly Father, we're asking that for ourselves. Trust in you. You're truly flying this thing with your feet up. You're directing the courses of the world, the universe, sovereignly. You're not standing, you're sitting on your throne. We trust you, God, that the world desperately needs people who know where to go for the answers, who know how to live with, with composure, with courage, with faith, who recognize themselves as assets for God to cash in any time and any way that he wants to. Lord God, I pray that we would see ourselves that way. Thank you for placing such value on us by giving us your son, his life in exchange for ours. We thank you, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptist.org.